Good morning, Crossway. This morning's reading is going to be from Romans chapter 8, verses 31 through 39. That's Romans 8, 31 through 39. <clears throat> what shall... <clears throat> What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Who shall bring any charges against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised? Who is at the right hand of God? Who indeed is interceding for us? Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation, or distress, or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or danger, or sword? As it is written, for your sake we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death nor life nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Blessed being the reading of his word. Well, grace and peace and good morning, Crossway. It is a joy for me to stand before you to open up the word of God. Uh, this church has, for a couple years now, been a special place for me, considering just your faithfulness to Christ, your commitment to preach His Word, and to care for one another so deeply. And I've seen that care and that love and how uh, you, take, you took so well care of my wife when she was here. So I am thankful for this body, and it is a blessing for me uh, to be here this morning. I want to uh, speak with you all about what is Jesus doing now? To ask that question, what is Jesus doing now? And to answer that, to look at that, let's turn our Bibles to Hebrews chapter 7, verse 25. Hebrews 7, verse So I will pray, and then, we will, and then we will begin. Please pray with me. Father in heaven, humbly in and of ourselves, we pray to you. But with great confidence, we draw near to your throne of grace because of the Lord Jesus Christ, your Son, our Savior. And we pray, Lord, with confidence, knowing that we have been sealed with your Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance. Heavenly Father, we were made for you, to glorify you and to enjoy you forever. And it is in communion and worship that we find our purpose for being and the goal of our redemption. I thank you for every soul in your providence you have gathered here. I ask, Father, that by your Spirit you open our eyes that we may behold wondrous things from your Word, particularly the glory and wonder of our Savior. 
and in that beholding be transformed into his same image. I ask that you humble our hearts to receive your word, that your word would fall on good soil and bear fruit in our lives. I pray, Father, that you would be glorified in the exaltation of your Son as your Spirit works through the Word for the good of your people. In Jesus' name, amen. Hebrews 7, verse 25, God's Word reads, Consequently, He is able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through Him since he always lives to make intercession for them. So reads the word of the living God. I recently read a story where following an Easter service, a woman not too far in her study of theology and walking with the Lord Jesus approached the pastor and asked, so what happened with Jesus after the resurrection? Since oftentimes, in our proclamation of Christ, we can stop there. To which the pastor responded, well, he ascended into heaven, and he's still alive. Bewildered with joy, she then said, I know he was resurrected, but he's really alive? To which the pastor responded, yes, he is alive. And amen to that. I love this story because it pushes us to consider Christ, the living, ascended, and exalted Savior. The Heidelberg Catechism, question 49, asks, what benefit do we receive from from Christ's ascension into heaven? Answer, first, that he is our advocate in the presence of his Father in heaven. Secondly, that we have our flesh in heaven, a sure pledge that he, as the head, will also take us, his members, up to himself. Thirdly, that he sends sends us his spirit as a guarantee by whose power we seek those things which are above, where Christ sits on the right hand of God and not on the things of the earth. Pastor and Professor Paul Swiss said that the ascension of the Lord Jesus should encourage us because it proclaims Christ's return. It foreshadows our exaltation. It gives us gospel purpose now. It informs our worship and beautifully reminds us of the intercession of Jesus. We rightly proclaim, focus, center, and celebrate on Christ crucified in his victorious, vindicating resurrection, in the inheritance that we have in him. We have every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places because we are co-heirs with Jesus. We are redeemed because he is our redeemer. We are saved because he is our savior. We are righteous. We have been justified because he is our righteousness. We stand before the throne of God, by faith, clothed in the very righteousness of Jesus, which has been accredited to us. We are forgiven because he is our sacrifice and substitute. Nonetheless, it has been official to consider what is Jesus doing now as our ascended and exalted Lord at the right hand of the Father. 
And in some sense, it is a loaded question because Jesus is God, the second person of the Trinity. Therefore, he is infinite, sovereign, all-powerful. He has all authority over heaven and earth. He is building his church, saving sinners. The list could go on. But the Bible is clear and emphasized that one thing that Jesus is doing now is interceding for his people as our great high priest. In other words, he is at the right hand of the throne of the Father, praying for those sealed with his spirit, for Christians, for you and me, my brothers and sisters in Christ. We must rest in and worship for all that the gospel tells us Jesus has accomplished in the past. But we also find comfort and confidence for what he is doing now in the present, interceding moment by moment, presenting afresh all of his saving work to the Father in his prayers as we just sang of. It's been written that Jesus' intercession is similar to a parent interceding to a teacher on behalf of their child or a sports agent to a team on behalf of their client, but Jesus' intercession as our high priest is far more. He is our all-sufficient mediator and advocate, and he's appealing to his righteous life and his intercession, his sacrificial death and his victorious resurrection, his saving work, not your religious resume, not your good merits, not on the merits of some saint. The truth of the ongoing intercession of Christ is beautiful, lovely, and should bring comfort and consolation to our souls. But the truth of the ongoing intercession of Christ in no way suggests that the Father is aloof or reluctant to embrace us. Based upon the nature of the Trinity and the knowledge we have of the Father's love, let us remember that God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit are one God with one divine will, and they will the same thing. Carl Truman says, Christ as the God-man asked the Father only for what the Father desires to give him. When Christ prays to the Father for us, the Father will grant him what he asks for it is only what he himself desires anyway. John Owen speaks of this as distinct applications of the same divine will in the Father and the Son. And we even see in Romans 8, 26, that the Holy Spirit intercedes for us with groans too deep for words. There is no reason when considering the intercession of Christ to be tempted towards suspicion of the Father. God our Father is a loving Father who in his love sent his Son to be our Savior and High Priest. In the Holy Spirit illuminated truth of the intercession of Christ shows us the love and grace of our Father as it does Christ the Son, our Savior. So what is Jesus doing now? Hebrews 7.25 beautifully answers that question along with answering for us, what is Jesus able to do? Hebrews 7.25 calls Christians to confident assurance because Jesus saves completely and prays constantly for his own. This text calls us to confident assurance because Jesus saves completely and prays constantly for his own. This one verse will answer for us two questions. What is Jesus willing and able to do? 
And what is Jesus doing now? We'll look at this one verse with two headings. Jesus saves completely, and Jesus prays constantly for his own. Look with me to the first portion of verse 25. Jesus saves completely. The text reads, Consequently, he is able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through him. We'll pause there. First word of this verse says, consequently, it's for sure a loaded word because the author of Hebrews is making a conclusion with this text, having established in verse 19 that Jesus in the new covenant has given us a better hope in drawing near to God. A better hope than the Mosaic law or the Levitical priesthood, the priesthood of the Old Testament. Because Jesus is a high priest by the oath of God the Father, as he quotes Psalm 110, verse 4 and verse 21. Which means Jesus also guarantees a better covenant. He won't die like other high priests, constantly died and needed to be replaced. He doesn't give animal sacrifices for his own sin. He was the sinless Lamb of God, and he gave a once and for all sacrifice in himself. The author has been laboring in this book to show that Jesus is better. He's the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. He sits at the right hand of the throne of God because his work is finished. He is better than angels, better than Moses, better than Aaron and all of the Levitical high priests of the Old Testament. Jesus is the better and final high priest, which means He represents us before God as mediator. He has provided the perfect sacrifice in himself for our sins and now intercedes for us. Jesus helps and represents us, having been made like us, Hebrews 2 speaks of, enabling him to sympathize with our weaknesses as a merciful and faithful high priest who doesn't need rescue but provides it for us. So when the author says, consequently, he's established glorious truths concerning the person and work of Christ. And he's saying, as a result, for this reason, Jesus is able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through him. I want to draw your attention to that word in verse 25, able. He is able to save to the uttermost. It tells us Jesus is right now and continually, always, unceasingly able to save. If you give me a sentence of bad grammar, let me double down with a double negative. Jesus is never not able to save sinners. He is always able to save. And this is good news that Jesus is able to save. He is the only one capable, suitable, sufficient, and the only one qualified. You cannot do it. Your grandmother's prayers can't do it. The pope or saints cannot do it. It's Christ alone. For he alone is truly God and truly man, the perfect sacrifice and perfect substitute for people like us. Implicitly, this text tells us that Jesus is not only able to save, but that he is willing to save to the uttermost. He is willing and able. From his fullness, John tells us, we have received grace upon grace. 
every other religion in this world is a works religion. That's why the gospel reigns supreme. And every other religion shows you a false God, but a God who is not willing to save you. You have to do it. Jesus alone is willing and able to save. When I was about four or five years old, me and my little sister with our cousins were going to the community pool of the apartment that we lived in. And in our childhood eagerness, maybe foolishness, we ran in front of our moms and the gate was open to get into the pool. I knew walking into this gate as a young guy that I'm not getting in this pool until my mom comes because I need my floaties. I can't quite swim yet. But my little sister named Perry, she, of the two of us, has always been the more fearless, adventurer, thrill seeker. She's one or two years old, and she jumps in the pool. I was terrified. This is my little sister fighting for her life in the water. I'm looking at her scared that she's going to drown. I'm paralyzed because I can't swim. There was a part of me that wanted to jump in and help her, but thought in my mind that would just make for two of us in there then. I was willing, but I wasn't able. But in a few seconds, I'll never forget this, There was this woman who jumped in the pool and saved my sister. She seen the need, and she was willing and able to help and to save her. And it was even to her own detriment. She had just had some type of surgery on her stomach. She seen the need, and she was willing and able, even to her own detriment. But in an infinitely greater way, Jesus seen our need and was willing and able to save and to rescue us. We see a great example of the willingness of Christ and his mercy and grace in Luke chapter 5, verses 12 through 13. Luke writes, while he was in one of the cities, there came a man full of leprosy. And now this, of course, was a man that truly had leprosy. There's a real sense in which We are all spiritual lepers before the holy of holies. But the text says, and when he saw Jesus, he fell on his face and begged him, Lord, if you will, you can make me clean. And Jesus stretched out his hand and touched him, saying, I will be clean. And immediately the leprosy left him. The willingness of Christ to cleanse that leper is a reality, too, when we come to him as spiritual lepers for cleansing. He is the fountain of all cleansing, and he is willing and able to make sinners clean, to save, to redeem. And Jesus will not change. As the book of Hebrews tells us, he is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Right now, he is willing and able to save sinners and to sustain you, Christian. This is why we celebrate. This is why he came. John Owen said, we need to know that Christ is both willing and able to help us and meet all our needs. We may well ask, what will Christ not do for us? He who emptied and humbled himself, who came down from the infinite heights of his glory to take our human nature into union with his divine nature, 
Will he not meet all our needs and answer according to his wisdom all our prayers for help? Will he not do all that is necessary for us to be eternally saved? Will he not be a sanctuary for us? Christ is indeed most willing and able to help us and save us. 1 Timothy 1.15, the statement is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, and he's willing and able to do so. Jesus in Luke 19.10 says, the Son of Man came to seek and save the lost, and he is willing and able to do so. But look back with me to verse 25, because the text doesn't stop there. It says, he is able to save to the uttermost. It's a unique phrase, full of meaning. Commentators say, to the uttermost denotes comprehensiveness, completeness. Your, your translation may just save that. He's able to save completely. But it gets at an exhaustive wholeness. And with reference to time, this word means forever and to the end. And it's possible that when the author of Hebrews says, consequently, he is able to save to the uttermost, in speaking to this Jewish Christian congregation, he had in mind Deuteronomy 30, verse 4. The context is Israel, God speaking of them breaking the covenant and being under the curse of the law, but because of God's grace being restored and forgiven by Yahweh their God, and the text says, this is God speaking, if your outcasts are in the uttermost parts of heaven, from there the Lord your God will gather you, and from there he will take you. And we see Nehemiah, as they are returning to the promised land, repeat this same promise. The Old Testament presents Yahweh as the, to the uttermost redeemer. And here we see Jesus, Jesus, the radiance of the glory of God, in the exact imprint of his nature proclaimed as the to the uttermost Savior. So Jesus is willing and able to save to the uttermost. He went and goes as far to save us as we need saving. And that's why he went to the cross. Jesus is a greater Savior than we are sinners. We are a needy people, but we have a sufficient Savior for all of our needs who saves completely, totally, perfectly, and eternally. I had the privilege of playing college football in my college days, and football is a sport where you get full-ride scholarships, 100% completely and totally paid for the whole time that you were there. It's a scholarship to the uttermost, if you will. Other sports can only give partial scholarships, they can pay for some, but then you have to work and figure out paying for the rest. It's a partial scholarship, certainly not to the uttermost. Jesus is a to the uttermost Savior, a full scholarship Savior. He doesn't leave you with debt that you'll have to pay off. The text doesn't say Jesus is able to save for the most part, and then you have to work feel guilty enough or be righteous enough or go to purgatory to clear out the rest. No, Jesus saves to the uttermost, completely, totally, perfectly, and eternally, and we are saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in this Christ alone. And this is good news because I am, and you are, a sinner to the uttermost, completely and totally a sinner by nature, 
and choice. We need Christ exactly as this text proclaims him, willing and able to save to the uttermost. He won't run out of gas as our Savior, leaving us stranded. He won't flip the script. Our Lord does not change. He's not going to pull the rug from up under you. He said in John 6, 37, whoever comes to me, I will never cast out. One author says to the uttermost means God's forgiveness, redemption, and restoration reaches into the darkest crevices of our souls, the places where we are most ashamed and defeated. Jesus knows us to the uttermost and saves us to the uttermost. If you are here today having received and rested in Christ, understand that he is our undefeated redeemer, our unfailing representative, our unblemished substitute, our unmatched mediator who leaves no sin unforgiven, the Savior who is willing and able to save to the uttermost, who we will see is also our unceasing intercessor. As the old hymn goes, what a friend we have in Jesus. He is the lovely Lord, so filled with grace and truth, overflowing with grace and love for sinners like us. The text also says, He is able to save to the uttermost. Look with me at verse 25, those who draw near to God through him. There's a lot of people in this world running from God. There's a lot of people in this world drawing near to God. But you will only reach him safely through Christ his son. This few words get at the exclusivity of the gospel. There is one God, and there's one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. John 10, 9, he says, I am the door. There is no other entrance. Acts 4, 12, he's the only name under heaven by which we can be saved. Matthew 7, 12 through 13, he tells us the gate is narrow that leads to life. And if some of you are tempted to say, that seems so exclusive, that seems so one-track-minded, it is. But you're mistaken if you're only mad at the fact that the gate is narrow. You need to be grateful for God's grace that the gate is open. He didn't have to provide us anyway, but in his grace, he sent his son to be the way. Praise God that we can draw near to him through Christ, his son, who saves to the uttermost. He saves completely. And in view of this truth, I want to encourage you with some of my favorite imperatives in the Bible. Hebrews 3.1 simply says, consider Jesus, the apostle and high priest of our confession. Hebrews 12.3 says, consider him who endured from sinners such hostility so that you don't become weary or faint-hearted. So I want to encourage you all to consider Jesus, to behold him with the eyes of your heart by faith in all of his glory as our Savior and high priest. He is willing and able to save. He is not cold or frustrated or forced. He is our representative under the law and our representative who sits in heaven at the right hand of his Father. In verse 26 of this chapter says, we have such a high priest 
holy, innocent, unstained, separated from sinners and exalted above the heavens. Anxiety, discontentment, and things of that nature thrive because we often think too little of him. It's in looking to Christ that we find confident assurance, and the Holy Spirit transforms us into his likeness from one degree of glory to another. As we behold him in the word and prayer and fellowship, beholding and considering, meditating upon Christ, it's not weighing the options verse Jesus, it's considering and meditating upon the Lord. It's the most practical, life-transforming thing you can do. Knowing your soul, my brother or sister in Christ, that from this text, he will hold us fast. Your assurance is not in the first person. Firstly, I have done this, I have done that. It is third person. Jesus has lived, died, rose, and ascended for me. Our, Sinclair Ferguson said, our assurance of salvation is our assurance of Jesus. Jesus is enough. Refuse to shortchange his sufficiency by holding on to guilt or being paralyzed by past sin or thinking your sins are greater than him as Savior or or subtly thinking that you need to add to your salvation. He is our all in all, all we have and all we need. Rest in his sufficiency today. And some of you in this room may need to hear, come to Jesus. Come to this Christ who is willing and able to save to the uttermost. If you are an unbeliever here today, you do not know this Christ. Are you running from God or are you drawing near to God on your own terms? You can't run from him and you can't stand before him on your own. God in all of his glory, wisdom, and kindness has given us his law. Summarized in the two greatest commandments, to love him with all of us and to love our neighbors as ourselves. But if you are to be righteous before God on the basis of the law, you would have to keep it perfectly, perpetually, personally, and precisely. And that's exactly why the Bible says all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. God's law for you is a mirror to see your sinfulness in the beautiful light of his holiness. But in his grace, his law is also a tutor to point us to his son, to the good news of the gospel, that Christ Jesus has come, truly man and truly God. And he has fulfilled the law and the prophets, kept the law perfectly, precisely, personally, and perpetually. His life was beautiful, sinless in every way, always loving God his Father and neighbor as himself. And he is our representative under the law if you would receive him. And he laid his life down in his great love upon the cross as a substitute for sinners, dying for sins not his own, being pierced for our transgressions and crushed for our iniquities. And he said on the cross, it is finished, paid in full. He purchased his own. And on the third day, he rose again as he said he would because his sacrifice is sufficient. He is exactly who he said he is, the Son of God and this Savior to the uttermost. He ascended unto heaven. He sits at the right hand of his Father interceding for his own, but he is bidding you to come. Through his gospel, he says, come. If you are weary and heavy laden by the law, come and you will find rest in Christ. Believe upon the Lord Jesus. It takes no money to buy him. 
Come empty-handed. Trust in the Lord Jesus today. Christ in all of his beauty and the offer of salvation makes repentance sweet. It will be a delight to dismiss what you may be afraid to lose if you have taken hold of Christ. Come today, he shall receive you. And if you are a believer here today, daily go to this Christ. Go back to him. Lean upon him. Boast in him. In moments of Romans 7, 24, when you look at yourself and your life and say, wretched man that I am, don't forget verse 25, but thanks be to God through Christ Jesus our Lord for deliverance and salvation. It's through going to Christ daily that as Hebrews 6, 11 says, we can have the full assurance of hope until the end. Because Jesus is willing and able to save to the uttermost. To whom else shall we go but Christ alone? This text is showing us that we can have confident assurance because Jesus saves completely and prays constantly for his own. We've seen what he's willing and able to do in saving completely. Now let's answer the question, what is Jesus doing now? And see that Jesus prays constantly for his own. Look back with me to verse 25. Consequently, he is able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through him, since he always lives to make intercession for them. Since he always lives to make intercession for them. This word intercession was used of someone bringing appeals to a king. And in the Jewish Old Covenant covenant, Mosaic context, they understood that the priests of the tribe of Levi would pray to God on their behalf in the holy place would pray on the behalf of the 12 tribes of Israel, but the intercession of Jesus is better and presented here as the reason he saves to the uttermost. As our great high priest, as our representative in the presence of God, he speaks on our behalf and is presently praying for us on the basis of his righteous life, his cross, and his victorious resurrection. In the most holy place of heaven, Christian. You don't represent yourself like a criminal without a lawyer. Jesus, our high priest, fills that position for us in all of his fullness of grace. Notice the text says he always lives to make intercession for them. Always includes this present moment, right now, your worst moment. It means at all times, continually and constantly, Christ, our head, and the bridegroom of the church never ceases to intercede for his body and bride. The church that he's promised to build, nourish, and cherish is always prayed for. There is not a day that goes by, Christian, that you are unprayed for by your Savior. He always lives to intercede for us. So in your most fruitful times, the intercession of Christ, in your worst times, most heartbreaking sins are in the pain of relational strife, the intercession of Christ. In the darkness of temptations, doubt and despair, the intercession of Christ. In shame, panic attacks, sleeplessness, whatever it is, you may be bearing the intercession of Christ. Our ascended high priest always lives to make intercession for us. 
to pray and intercede for his people. This is what he's doing right now for all those who have trusted in him for eternal life. Jesus is not only for us back then, he is right now for us in his intercessory prayers. This is his love and his consistent care. Years ago, all the rage was in the book about love languages, knowing how you or others received and gave love, words of affirmation, acts of service, physical touch, gifts, quality time. This is not an endorsement. I mean, those are all fine things, though. But if I can just have another moment to spiritualize a little bit, to add something to that list. I never feel more loved than when I know or hear someone praying for me to God Almighty because I know how deeply I need it. And yet it is unspeakably comforting to know that the Son of God, Jesus, right now is praying for me, knowing all my flaws, failures, and faults. But in redeeming and transforming love, he lives as our high priest. This is what he's doing right now for us. This is the Jesus we trust and celebrate, who always lives to intercede for us. And a major reason for this is that we need it. We wouldn't persevere without it. And that doesn't diminish the need for the perseverance of the saints. That's the main exhortation of the book of Hebrews. But it, re but it reminds us that we persevere because he preserves, because he prays. Or as Psalm 63 verse 8 says, my soul clings to you, but your right hand upholds me. Romans 8, 34 and 35 speaks to the intercession of Christ, giving us five reasons why the Christian can't be condemned. Paul says, who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? These verses connect Jesus' inseparable love, not only to his sacrificial death upon the cross, his resurrection, but also to his present intercession. Jesus' inseparably love is actively and presently expressed through his intercessory prayers on our behalf. His love and his prayers are greater than your doubts and fears and should give you hope amidst the often slowness of our sanctification. Paul said in Galatians 2.20, In the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. And we can know and persevere in faith and walk by faith knowing that we have a high priest who loves us and prays for us. And these intercessory prayers have their power based upon the finished person and work of Christ. His prayers aren't somehow correlated or tied to the scales of your life, but the sufficiency of his redemption. John MacArthur said, whenever we sin, Jesus says to the Father, put that on my account. My sacrifice has already paid for it. The preeminent subject of our preaching is Christ and him crucified. 
And it's also the preeminent basis of Jesus' intercession for us as our high priest. In Jesus' ministry, he always preached himself. And he does the same in his heavenly intercession for us as our high priest. John Calvin said, Jesus turns the Father's eyes to his own righteousness. To avert his gaze from our sins, he so reconciles the Father's heart to us that by his intercession, he prepares a way and access for us to the Father's throne. And this is precisely why Hebrews 4, verses 14 through 16, say, Since then we have a high priest who has passed through the throne, who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God. Let us hold fast our confession, for we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Verse 16, let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. What assurance and security we have in Christ. But let this also show you how seriously Christ takes our sin. He died for it, resurrected defeating it, and intercedes in the face of it. What shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin because the grace of intercession abounds? By no means. The goodness of Jesus, our high priest, his present ongoing intercession ought to compel us to pursue his likeness. Embolden our repentance and from this assurance, enable us to fight our sin, not taking it lightly because our Savior doesn't, yet never despairing because sin will not have the last word in and over us. Christ does. And no one knows this better than Peter. On the night of Jesus' arrest, Judas the betrayer had the worst night in the history of night. But Peter had a pretty bad one, too. He denied Jesus three times after boasting of his willingness to die for him. But then Judas perished, as the Scripture said. And Peter still loved Jesus, repented, and fruitfully followed him unto his martyrdom, where it showed he wouldn't deny him again. What's the difference? It's not that Peter pulled himself up by his bootstraps and got himself together. It was grace in the same intercession, the same intercessory prayers we've been talking about here today. Listen to this in Luke 22, 31 through 32. Before Jesus' arrest and everything got started towards the cross, Jesus said to Peter, Simon, Simon, behold, Satan demanded to have you, that he might sift you like wheat. Verse 32, but I have prayed for you that your faith may not fail. And when you have turned again, strengthen your brothers. Jesus prayed for Peter. So even when he failed greatly, his faith didn't fail permanently. And likewise, when we who draw near to God through Christ fail, our faith will not fail because the founder and finisher of our faith will not let it happen. He prays for us 
And there's no prayers like the prayers of Jesus. As one pastor said to you, O Christian, Jesus is praying for you. He is praying your faith will not fail no matter how far you fall. This is how Jesus prays for us. And it's worthy of noting he prays specifically for his church, for those who have trusted in him, for the redeemed saints who have drawn near to God through him, who live in union with him, who are sealed with his spirit. This is not just universal prayers. It is prayers for his people, his church. But church, our finishing the good fight, our running the race, our keeping the faith is inseparably linked to the heavenly intercession of Jesus. Intercessory prayer is a beautiful truth as to what Jesus is doing now. In your chair, as you fellowship today and as you leave this place, treasure this truth of the intercession of Jesus. Follow Christ not as one who he has on probation, just waiting and watching to see if you mess up, and then he'll throw you back to jail and be done with you. No, follow Christ as one for whom he always lives to make intercession and has saved and will save to the uttermost. And let the intercession of Christ encourage you amidst suffering. Work in you a quickness to confess sin with confidence that you draw near to the throne of grace where we receive mercy and find grace to help from our Father. And let the intercession of Christ be an encouragement for you to pray for one another, saints, to intercede for other believers, to pray that they will persist in the faith, press on until our faith becomes sight. I don't know what you all are going through, but there's no place for despair as long as our Savior is at the throne. Robert Murray McShay said, if I could hear Christ praying for me in the next room, I would not fear a thousand enemies, yet distance makes no difference. He is praying for me. Amen. What faith and confident assurance we have in Jesus. May you lay aside every weight and sin that clings so closely and run with endurance the race set before you, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith. We have confident assurance because Jesus saves completely and prays constantly for his own. Our Savior to the uttermost always lives to make intercession for us. And we get a glimpse of his prayers in John 17, often called the high priestly prayer we have in Scripture. And his last request in John 17, 24 is this, Father, I desire that they also, whom you have given me, may be with me where I am to see my glory that you have given me because you loved me before the foundation of the world. Our Lord Jesus wants us with him, and he will bring us there to glory. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we do pray to you in the name of the Lord Jesus. I thank you for our all-sufficient Savior, Christ in him crucified, risen and exalted, saving to the uttermost, always living to make intercession for his own. What confidence, what assurance we have in him. What great love we have seen and received in him. He is our everything, Lord. And that changes everything. Thank you, Father. In Jesus' name, amen.